Every day, CT testifies to the reality that Jesus is alive, transforming his world and bringing his kingdom to bear. Jesus transforms, CT equips. Make a gift to our nonprofit ministry with a gift of $20 to provide 150 more people with redemptive storytelling, global perspective, and thoughtful podcasts. Give now at morect.com equip. Welcome to Questions and Ethics with Russell Moore, where we apply the gospel of the kingdom to cultural issues and your questions about the Christian life. And now, here's your host. Hello, I'm Russell Moore, president of the Southern Baptist Ethics and Religious Liberty Commission, and this is Questions and Ethics, the place where we get together and talk about uh, dilemmas that you may be having, situations in your life where you wonder, how should I act as a Christian? How would the kingdom of God inform my decision on this? I'm here in our Washington, D.C. offices with Matt Hawkins, who is Director of Coalitions here for the Ethics and Religious Liberty Commission. We had a a real ethical dilemma uh, earlier, he and I did, about when one could play Christmas music, how early before Christmas, and I played it as early as I wanted to. I may play some today, uh, even into the new year. It's just entirely up to me and my freedom as a Christian. So we'll continue to argue about that later on. But we have a question that has come in from a listener. Matt, what do we have? This question says, Dr. Moore, I am giving a eulogy at a family member's funeral, but they are not a believer. Mm. How honest should I be as I deliver this eulogy? Well, that's an interesting question. I I just saw a uh, piece of news in the Huffington Post about uh, an obituary that was written by some children of a woman. I won't give the woman's name because I don't know how accurate this uh, rendering of her life is, but her kids wrote this eulogy, and they said this, she is survived by her six of eight children whom she spent her lifetime torturing in every way possible. While she neglected her small children, she refused to allow anyone else to care or show compassion towards them. When they became adults, she stalked and tortured anyone they dared to love. Everyone she met, adult or child, was tortured by her cruelty and exposure to violence, criminal activity, vulgarity, and hatred of the gentle or kind human spirit. On behalf of her children, whom she so abrasively exposed to her evil and violent life, we celebrate her death from this earth and hope she lives in the afterlife, reliving each gesture of violence, cruelty, and shame that she delivered on her children. Her surviving children will now live the rest of their lives with the peace of knowing their nightmare finally has some form of closure. Yikes. No wonder this made uh, national news. We are not accustomed to seeing obituaries or hearing eulogies that take place at funerals that that picture people in these stark sorts of of nasty uh, terms. But, of course, we know there are nasty people uh, who are out there. We realize that. We see that all the time in our own lives. So how should we act at a funeral? You know, funerals are often really frustrating for me. Because uh, for for the reason that this listener uh, points out, sometimes one will go to a funeral where one knows the person who is deceased. And you know that this person was not Christian. You know, this person wasn't following after Christ. You know, this is an evangelical, Bible-believing, gospel-preaching pastor who nonetheless gets up and talks about how uh, Aunt Flossie is now in the presence of Jesus, and she's not in pain anymore. She's not suffering anymore. Or Uncle Bob, he's, he's now walking on, uh, walking on streets of gold. And you, you sit back and say, well, where, has the, where, has the gospel, uh, where is the gospel in, in all of this? On the other hand, I went to a funeral one time. I remember, oh, 
probably 20 years ago where there was a pastor who stood up and said, uh, you know, I've heard everybody stand up and, and say all of these great things about Bob and about how Bob's now with the Lord. I had a conversation with Bob, he said, last week. And Bob told me he didn't have time for the gospel. He didn't have time for the church of the living God. And I just want you all to know that Bob split hell wide open at 5.03 a.m. on Thursday, January. And everyone just kind of was taken aback. I don't think that's the way to go either. Uh, When we're thinking about eulogies and, and standing up and giving a rendering of someone's life, there are several different responsibilities that we have. One of those things is the primary responsibility that we always have to the fidelity of the gospel. Uh, Apostle Paul says, I am not ashamed of the gospel. I'm not ashamed of, of the good news that's been given to me because it's the power of God unto salvation. If we take the edge of the gospel off to where someone is justified by the grief of his or her family alone, then we really are not handling rightly uh, the word of God that's been given to us. We're unfaithful to the gospel. On the other hand, A eulogy is also given primarily for uh, the summing up of the life of this person and the comforting of the people who are in the room. I don't think this is a time to take shots uh, at the person who has died. Certainly is not the, the time to settle old scores, and it's not the time to neglect the aspects of that person's life where the grace of God was seen. I mean, part of a a eulogy, even for an unbeliever and even for a very hardened person, is to say this is someone who was made in the image of God, and there there are some aspects of this person's life to which there there should be some form of, of gratitude given. I remember having someone talk to me about a funeral of her mother, and she was trying to think of some good things to say about her mother. And she said, you know, really, the only thing I can think of is that she was kind to birds. She fed the birds in the backyard. Uh, I think most people can can find some sense of, of gratitude in the life of that person without necessarily speaking to speaking of that person as a Christian or as someone who is reconciled to God. The other part of this that I think is really important is something that I I learned years ago and, and something that really hit me unexpectedly. I heard a, an old uh, Welsh uh, Baptist preacher preaching, and I think of this all of the time, and he was talking about uh, the thief on the cross. And he said, if you think about it for a minute, the thief on the cross, if he had believing family members, none of them would have imagined after they put him in the ground that he was with the Lord. Uh, They would have all looked back at his his awful life and assumed that he was in hell. He says, so imagine the the shock on the faces of any God-fearing family members or friends of this, this thief, this criminal, this terrorist, when they see him in blessedness in the eternal state. And he gave this anecdote of a man who was riding a horse. His family members and friends had been sharing the gospel with him. He didn't believe it. He rejected it. He was thrown from the horse, believed the gospel in midair, cried out for mercy, hit the ground and went into a coma for six or seven weeks. And when he emerged from the coma, he said to his family, I'm a believer. I'm your brother in Christ now. But he recognized if he had died, they would not have known that until Judgment Day or until they, had, until they had died themselves and were in the presence of the Lord. And that really was a humbling sort of word for me to recognize while we shouldn't give a whole lot of hope 
for deathbed conversions. I mean, we need to be sharing the gospel with people. It's appointed uh, for a man once to die, the Scripture says, and after this comes the judgment. We need to be sharing the gospel now, but we should never discount the fact that we do not know what happened in the heart of someone in those final seconds or nanoseconds before death while it is yet time. Uh, I would say to you, if you're an unbeliever, don't be counting on that and saying, oh, I'll, I'll repent at the last minute on my deathbed. Uh, that, that's a, a presumptiveness, a presumption uh, that the Scripture says is very, very dangerous. Now is the time. Now is the day of salvation. But for those of us who are looking back on the life of someone, we do not know exactly what happened at the very end. So that means, I think, in the case of this unbeliever that you're giving the eulogy for, lived a very hard life. I think you can stand up and say, you know, we know that John lived a rough life. We know that John made uh, made some very difficult choices. We give thanks to God for these aspects of John's life. And then preach the gospel. Uh, you don't have to stand there as though you're some sort of psychic giving giving directions as to what John is doing right now in the eternal state. You stand up and say, this is what the gospel says about sin. This is what sin does to us. This is how sin alienates us from God. This is the sort of judgment that we're all going to face because all of us are ultimately going to die. We have a limited amount of time in this life. And the only way to escape the condemnation that we face, that we've brought on ourselves, the only way that we can be made right with a holy God is through the crucified and resurrected Jesus Christ, placing our trust in him, believing in him. You preach the gospel, you don't necessarily speculate about this person. So that's my advice to you on this, and I know it's tough, and uh, and it's tough. It's something that I think um, most Christians are going to have to face in some way or other. What's your question? What's the dilemma that you're facing right now ethically, and you're wondering what's the right thing to do, what's the wrong thing to do? Just send me an email at questions at erlc.com. Let me know what it is, and we'll try to answer it here on Questions and Ethics. This is Russell Moore, and we'll see you next time. Keep calm and walk the line.